from Wakefield. It's the Nolan Carnacho. My name is Nolan. Let's get to meet Carly Munoz to the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Nolan. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the show. And joining me this week, all the way from Puerto Rico himself, you may know not just for his amazing cuisine, restaurant Carly's Fine Bistro and Piano Bar. You may also know him at, for his work in the States with the Beach Boys and many other countless great musicians. He has done some amazing work on an album of my favorite being Pacific Ocean Blue and Bamboo, but also his album about 10 years ago almost that he put together called In My Soul. As I said, all the way from Puerto Rico himself, he is the one and only Mr. Carly Munoz. Carly, how are we today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you. Good to hear you. <laughs> and uh, thank you for having me in your program. It's actually, I've seen a, a few of the uh, uh, chapters and, and yes. episodes and uh, it's a you you're very good at it. Oh, thank you. I, really I appreciate, appreciate it. it. I, I've had a few of your contemporaries on, Bobby. Uh, I just had John Philip Chanel on from the uh, Seven Days that he he was speaking very highly of you on there, and um, Michael Andres as well. So, oh well, yeah, yeah, all good well people. A, yes, might as well have a, a few more on as well. Um, being you, you, who you are, a musician but also a business owner, you've seen both sides of the craziness the last two years have brought to the entire world. For you at this point, it's not technically, I would say, completely gone, but for you to sort of see it now die down and back to normal, what's it been like? It is, um, yeah, it, it is crazy. Um, it's been uh, disruptive in some aspects, but actually for me, it um, the, the there was a lockdown here in San Juan, in Puerto Rico. You know, the, from the day one of the lockdown of the pandemic, which lasted about three months, I... I began writing, writing my memoirs. Oh, okay. So I wrote a book actually that uh, will be released uh, next year, about this time, the fall of next year. So in in that sense, it was good for me because it gave me the space, the peace to uh, to write, which is something I had in the bucket list, but too many distractions yeah. <laughs> to uh, to actually do. So it was. Uh, it's a great opportunity to do that, and and I, I basically I wrote the core of it in the span of uh, of the lockdown. Wow. Of course, then you know tweaking, yeah. you know, okay, this works here, better here, better there, but uh, I basically wrote it during the lockdown. So so it was good to me that way. Business wise, well, the restaurant had its loss, obviously, and. Uh, uh, my wife has a store, Royal Vintage, a fashion boutique that also, you know, business in general uh, stepped down and sure. it, was, it was difficult for business. But uh, we're, we're back to speed now. Yeah. We we opened right away. We're probably one of the first restaurants uh, in the area to open. Uh-huh. We open, we, normally we don't serve lunch, but we opened for lunch then. Uh, with a, a very accessible menu for like uh, first responders like FEMA and you know the like. Sure. So uh, so what we got to open first with candlelight and <laughs> gas for uh, uh, you know like uh, I'm combining a little bit of, of like uh, electric situations too sure. because at the same time to top it off we were having electrical issues in, in the island and and, and this happened right after uh, uh, Irma, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the other big hurricane that uh, yeah. that hurt us quite a bit. So it was like injury on top of injury. Sure. 
for you, and, and I've asked this to some the other people I've had on during this time, it gives you a sort of moment to reflect. And maybe you had that moment while you were writing your your memoirs. For you, what did you learn about yourself that maybe Carly Munoz didn't know about himself beforehand during the pandemic? Well, you, you mean on account of the pandemic or or on account of writing writing the memoirs? Well, I think maybe more the pandemic while we were all inside and at home. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you, well, you combine both, uh, which is right, because the uh, the memoirs had a lot to do with the uh, uh, with the pandemic. So it's it's like kind of one. So being the uh, the pandemic cause of of me writing the memoirs, well, it made me uh, go deep into uh, myself at times uh, to relive experiences that that were significant, that were worth sharing with the people that. Perhaps a uh, a perhaps a lesson could be uh, learned from them. Sure. I, I want to sort of th th turn this now to sort of you know starting as far back as we can with with your story. You're growing. You're a young kid growing up in Puerto Rico, and at 13, according to your bio on your website, and whether Wikipedia is true or not, at 13 you're given a, a piano by your father. Get that situation for you. What was it? for you in terms of your hopes for music, but also in terms of maybe taking a crack at it as a um, professional job perspective? Well, I, I wasn't thinking about professional jobs at that time. Yeah. I think I wanted to be a reporter. Okay. I walk around with a neighborhood, but a little notebook, you know, <laughs> looking for trouble. So um, it was uh, also my, you know, my peers, guys in the neighborhood, we live in a, in a house that was like like a uh, like the, the tip of a triangle, okay. and so so it was like the a crossroads of of two streets, which made it like, like a big space. So sure. so kids used to play ball uh, ball there right in front of the house, but I wasn't inclined to sports. I okay. I just I found sports like they they just didn't make sense to me. You sure. know, going after a ball and <laughs> so I was I was kind of like an uh, a dreamer and I was always thinking of different things, scenarios and uh, philosophic. I had philosophical questions from when I was very little. Um, so I was more like an introvert, let's say. Uh -huh. and, and getting a piano was like, well, I wish I had gotten something with four wheels or two <laughs> wheels, you know. Sure. Something like more fun because it was a birthday. It wasn't the 13th birthday. Sure. But it was a piano and it was just this, this is spinet wall piano. And uh, it just sat there for a month for like probably about, I don't know, maybe six months before I put my hands there. And But once I did, I and I it, it happened out of boredom. I remember, remember while, while the other kids were playing ball. Uh, in front of the house, I sat there, and then God, it makes sense, you know. It seemed easy, so sure. it it just like came to me. Sure. It's like, wow, this is easy, you know. Chords, I I started playing things, uh, songs that I had heard before, uh, doing the melody again, you know, that sort of thing. So it was uh, it was a trigger, definitely. <laughs> Before joining the Beach Boys and The Living End and, and then going to New York where your music career sort of took off, what was your musical palette like in terms of listening to it but also being a fan of? Okay. Um, 
I I I had had I still have a sister that's nine and a half years older than me. So then I had a, a teenage sister mm-hmm. and she was listening to um to Haley and the Comets and uh you know rock and roll was uh, was big at the time. It was like it uh it was like the end of the fifties, towards mm-hmm. the end of the fifties when and Boogie Woogie, my my dad brought me a record that was Boogie Woogie and I I love that music and uh, also uh, so I listened to Boogie Woogie Charleston. My mom mm-hmm. loved Charleston. She danced Charleston. She taught me how to dance mm-hmm. Charleston. My sister taught me how to uh, dance jive, uh, uh, bunny hop, <laughs> you know, all those uh, great rock dances. And uh, so that's what we listened to. And also, we used to listen. It was like towards the end of the Korean War, so my dad would have like a, a radio station mm. that it was American, um, and they would play music. You know, music, the elevator, dentist, sure. dental office music. But then it wasn't characterized as that. Sure. It was uh, just beautiful music, and all it all, all it was is like all this like music from movies and tv shows and like like uh stuff like uh, you know just things from great movie um uh, like uh let's see uh days of one and roses mm-hmm. um you know and, and and torch songs but it was really beautiful music and it it, it got my attention now uh, also, part of growing up was the local music, was the local right. dance music, which is what they today they call salsa, which then it wasn't called salsa. <laughs> salsa is kind of a cheap shot idea to because salsa means a sauce. It's because this music, it, every bit of this music has a particular name. It's a rumba, guaracha, guaguanco. You know, every, so it, you know, for the, the people that didn't have that knowledge, uh, there, there were Latin probably more like in the diaspora, like in New York, Chicago, stuff like uh, they started calling it salsa because it's uh, to them it all sounded the same. Sure. But there's like intricacies that will right. distinguish a uh, rumba from a mambo and, sure. you know, like that. But uh, then it had that intricacy. Mm-hmm. And I, I grew up also with that music because it was a natural music that people had at parties and danced to and, and then the ballads and all that stuff. And in fact, my very, very first band was a, a dance band that we played mm-hmm. that music. And then we recluded a singer and then we started doing torch music like a Moon River and yeah. all that stuff. You know? So uh, and then from there, we muted, mutated to, to rock and roll. Right. Um, for, for you at, at that point, I mean, you were part of the Beach Boys, at least in the um, early 70s, especially where the Beach Boys music is much more changed and advanced than what it was just a surf rock girls and car stuff were they on your your peripheral vision in terms of music or was it until you you got into the states and you got into with the beach boys no i was a fan of the beach in fact in in, growing up in puerto rico we had surf music was a big deal i mean we we had we had surfers we have great coasts and we had great waves and so we had uh, surf bunnies we had hot rods and that whole culture was here. 
and very close to where I live because I I uh, I was raised very close to the uh, the ocean, mm. the uh, uh, you know, in the along the coast, and so that was that was part. You know, my my friends were surfers, and we had bonfires just as a normal thing to do in a coastal town. Mm. You know, in the uh, 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 you know sundown and. We had our guitars and we roasted marshmallows and little kinds of things like that. So that culture was there. When the Beach Boys uh, happened right from the beginning, we, we you know, it trickled down here. I mean, it it trickled, but almost instantly. Sure. Because the uh, the hit parade was also the hit parade over here. So, sure. so uh, we got all that music. And by the same must be around around 67, 68, 67, I think I heard the pet sound pet sounds sure, yeah. for the first time. And that was really impressive. Yeah. And and I was here, it was here in Puerto Rico. And uh, I mean the, the impression was like particularly uh, strong yeah. because uh, I I was doing my first LSD trip. <laughs> oh, so that was like, uh, it was in the background, sure. you know, when when I was having the, the strongest moment. And it, and, and it was, and, and LSD at the time was, was even legal. Uh, it was still legal, <laughs> you know. And uh, I, I remember I read a book, I read The Doors of Perception before it. I did it. My dad saw me reading and he was happy to see me read <laughs> philosophical. So, oh, good song. You're like interested. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My experiment with something, you know, I heard of, you know, so anyway, yeah. so, but, uh, I, um, yeah, that, that music, it just sounded so, so amazing stuff. Like, like I just wasn't made for this time. Yeah. The brass was so multi-dimension, even the, it even had a color. I mean, pet sounds was red. Sure in my you know i mean i it's not easy to to uh to explain but things take a color you know oh, at, at that at, at that level of experience and uh i remember pet sounds being a lot of red uh related to pet sounds and it was so deep so powerful yeah sounds like i uh don't talk put your head on you in my shoulder yeah. all the pet sounds songs were like just rever reverberated on me for forever yeah, sure and um there was a little bit of an issue one time at, on a on a plane during a tour where uh i think we were i think we we're on a, a private plane and uh i was in a more forward aisle and brian was more like in the back like about three or four aisles down so uh, at that that moment, at that time, Brian he didn't speak a word with anyone. Yeah. He was just like total, total seclusion, total. Not even talk to his brothers, no one. He was just, and suddenly we're just there, and he, I see he came up the the aisles. He comes to me and says, "Carl, how is it that you can play my music so well?" Wow. Apparently, he had been thinking about it for a while because he's. You know, again, he's not spontaneous and yeah. just coming up with things like that. He wasn't talking. And I, it startled me that he said that. So the most honest thing that I could say right away is because, well, I heard that sounds like when I first took LSD. But it was the wrong answer for him because he 
totally freaked freaked out by my answer. Sure. He's like, oh. And then he went back and he just it it just like uh, I I suppose it, it it wasn't something that needed to be mentioned sure. or to that he needed to be reminded of. Yeah. So I I felt I felt really bad about that. You know, of course I didn't hear another word. He went right back into his depression, sex seclusion for yeah. the rest of the flight. But I mean, I didn't know. I just answered honestly to, but um, you know, maybe expectation that they might understand. Sure. I, you know, he may later in hindsight understand if he ever got to analyze because he had the experience and sure. except that he, of course, he, his reaction to it wasn't the same as, sure. as mine. I embraced the experience where he, he rejected the experience. Sure. But, um, so, but it uh, pet sounds was very, very, very important to me, and um, we listened to Beach Boys among our group, The Living End. It was, it was, it was one of our favorite groups. Wow. You know, along with the Bills, along with the Birds, uh, all the bees, I call yeah. them. <laughs> we had other favorites like Purple Harem, yeah, uh, and uh, Loving Spoonful, and then uh, the lesser known like uh, Michael Clark. Uh, you know, for Francapa, and there were, and then came Motown. Yeah. But the, the Beach Boys were there, were, were, were there on the top. For you, and then I, I had Gary Griffin on here who was there on the same time you were for a little bit, and a guy who Dennis worked with uh, on Little Bird on the Friends album, Stephen Kalinich, have both talked about how they dreamed about working with the Beach Boys and it was their mission to get them, and they ended up doing that for you. Listening to that music, maybe not just the first time, but when you were listening to it more before you met Ed Carter, did you have a goal or dream to ever work with them at some point? None whatsoever. I had no clue. I would meet him. Um, I went. I went to LA against my best wishes because I was convinced, you know, by Jack Riley, who was yeah. my my roommate in New York. And he just insisted, insisted, bought me a ticket. Carly, about you, then please come with me. Let's just go for a weekend. So mm -hmm. I, okay, I'll go. But I, at that point, I really wanted to settle back in New York. And uh, so went to LA and there we stayed. It was sort of an adventure. And I had no idea, nothing that I would meet the Beach Boys. And I, it, I wasn't pursuing it either. Sure. Uh, uh, I met a pursuit something a different it's a little more towards jazz because sure. i i had a jazz experience early on and which was still in my vein and i really wanted to uh to do that but anyway so uh i had uh, the phone number of ed carter from a, yeah. from an ex-girlfriend from from my my group the, the living it and soon when i was in la one time i just looking at my wallet oh you know so i call ed and and everything kind of happened flowing from there and for jack as well yeah. jack became their manager yes. you know and co-writer and all kinds of stuff and all that happened simultaneously <laughs> with one thing not having to do with the other yeah. that's, that's the, the weird thing <laughs> yeah we both end up with the same employer you know and, and meeting in the, on the road <laughs> sure. some of your contemporaries they played with within the beach boys and those who followed you after the have been lucky enough and fortunate enough to have on here talked about their way into the band and their um their uh their audition for the group as well and what they went through 
what was your audition process like for the group? And did you have to audition separately for the core members of the group? At first, I don't think I, I even have to audition. All right. Because the very first gig I did with them and the first few gigs I did with them, first few tours, were playing percussion. All right. They needed a percussionist. And that's what, uh, when I met, when I met uh, Ed Carter, right. it was at Michael Wolski's house. Right. And they had been both playing with the Beach Boys for a long time. And I were jamming and we, we became very, very close friends. And and uh, it was Mike or more Mike and Ed, you know, they both asked me, look, do you do you, uh, you play percussion? And I said, yes, because we need a percussionist for a tour coming up. I think they were going to, to, to Montreal, right. then New York. Anyway, it was an East Coast tour, and maybe not. Maybe there was there was a local tour first, but it was near that time. And uh, uh, so I said, I said yes, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I don't have the instruments. So you don't have to worry about that. Everything was taken care of. But it's okay. So there was a rehearsal in Santa Monica, and. Um, Nothing. I just I just integrated myself. Sure. It's a, it was very very easy for me, because uh, I play percussion intuitively. Plus the way I had heard pet sounds, sure. which you know, like like which was like a, a core way of experiencing the, the music. What I did on that first uh, LSE trip, uh, I knew it better than well, and it, it was the percussions. The percussion is a big part of pet sounds, sure, yeah, and how it impacts the, the psyche. Yeah. So, so I had that down, and so that that went well. It wasn't until a uh, rehearsal in New York, uh, the beach will have rented a loft uh, during the tour to rehearse, and at the time they had the horn section, and uh, so there was a break where Al and Carl and you know the guys they they went for lunch and, but we stay there because uh the, the horn players they were jazz aficionado and they wanted to jam so they started right. jamming daryl dragon then he left the piano because daryl didn't play jazz then I, then I just thought oh well there's a vacancy the piano's there uh hey they play my music so i sat and i played with him so we we're jamming and it was like there was fire and the beach boys said then, then they come back from the break and we're playing and they see me playing that music <laughs> you're playing yeah. jazz and 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 then like as we finish called sesame college uh you playing the, his words you're playing that sophisticated music ah uh, uh i wonder how you would you know have you played organ you said yes that's <laughs> organ is what i played with the living end for so long i'm an organ so uh i like to hear how you you sound with us you know so mm -hmm. Then uh, I kept doing uh, uh, percussion tours. When Daryl left, then they called me like for sure, like uh, okay, uh, we want you, we want we want to hear you with the group. That was sort of an audition. That All was right. like a, it's a piece of cake. Uh, you know, they they had this shit music with the chords. I didn't read music, All so right. but the, you know I could. Followed, I, I heard it and I followed the sheet music and and that was it. That that to you, I'm sure, was one of the greatest experiences for you to have to be playing that, not knowing that then they would be seeing you and being so 
amazed of your ability to play jazz music, especially at a time when their music is really developing and really uh, progressing. Um, right. Speak, speaking of Carl and everyone know and you know exactly, especially well because you were there, knows how great of a person Carl was and how loving and appreciative he was of everyone. But there's a story stories I've been told of musicians that have played in the Beach Boys of Carl when you play a bet wrong note or you play the note not correctly, known as the Carl Wilson stare. When he he looks yeah he looks back at you once looks back at you twice and yeah. the third time as they say your ass is grass. Did you ever have that with you or did you see anyone else see that happen to them? Well, I saw plenty of people getting getting it. That's for sure. Whether I had it, I don't remember. I I might taken the Beach Boys over the edge a few times, you know, like you know, but it was like more like. Yeah, you know, like okay, that's where you're going. Yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, when I play with the beach, when I play rock, first of all, I, I it's a whole, it's a whole different. I change hats, you know. It's like <laughs> yeah. it's not. I'm not playing jazz yeah. at all. I don't combine jazz with, right. you know, except I might do in a solo, like living this town, a little little elements of it. But I still, I remain within the realm of sure. of, of rock. Maybe make it psychedelic or something. I could do you know things like that but when i play rock i play rock when i play right. jazz i play jazz i switch hats completely so so i never i never cross that line with them but but if i get a little creative you know i'm getting like a look like uh <laughs> you know like a little okay we have a parameters kind of <laughs> yeah thing. yeah but basically i i i think uh carl he he showed nothing but respect for my sure. playing and dennis of course and and uh and you know the, the, those were the most musical guys yeah. in the group of course brian you know brian yeah uh for for you when, when you joined in the early 70s that was dennis's beginning in terms of being creative with especially the sunflower album he has his songs on that forever one, the greatest songs in the Beach Boys catalog. For, for you to witness him starting to become creative, I know Daryl Dragon, he was going to have a soul al an album with them that didn't work out. And obviously uh, Pacific Ocean Blue and Bamboo. Uh, for you to experience his early creative moments within the band at, at that time, what was it like for you to experience that? Oh, the, it, you mean like working with Dennis particularly? Yeah, yeah that, that was... Um, uh, I wouldn't say challenging. Um, it was interesting. It actually, it was really great to uh, to hear Dennis' uh, compositions. Sure. You know, it was really, really, uh, it was really refreshing. It was, it was really a nice kind of surprise to to hear that Dennis could, you know, have such good structures and sure. like his songs, like. It's like classically oriented and, and uh, very, very soulful, very powerful, um, you know, arrangement of chords that became songs. He had, there were like a lot of them were like taglines. Yeah. You know, which is, uh, I really admire, I admired it a lot. And uh, I was, um, well, when he asked me to produce and 
you know, like and then my songs. Uh, I was I was very happy. Sure. I was very happy about that because I thought we could really do something good together. Sure. I felt he had something that I didn't have, and I felt that that I had something that, that he didn't have. Sure. And that's what, especially in uh, bamboo, that's what we brought sure. together. Throughout your time with the Beach Boys, you were part of, I'm, I'm sure, your fair share of big time concerts, the Fourth of July ones. But when you're playing with these big concerts with the Beach Boys, Fourth of July ones, and things of that nature, as a musician, how do you not, how do you let the 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 fandom and the fans there, you know, wash over you, but not let it consume you, where then you're freaking out and not playing the correct music with them? Oh no, no. I mean, once once you're there, it's like. You, how I felt is like um, just giving everything I have, yeah. you know, like in tandem with with other parts, other components, other you know, with the, the the group, you know, making it one. It's like being a a gear in a system, you know, in the transmission. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like this works. That energy and that that energy from from the public that's like just it's empowering sure you know that that roar that lasts for a good first half of a, a concert yeah it's just like wow these people are really getting the best of this so i'm gonna give the best this sure. is it becomes it's really it's, it's fun really sure. um and it you end up with a lot of energy sure a lot of energy that is very difficult to burn after during that time, though, the late 70s, uh, 77, 78, the, and maybe a little later as well, Pacific Ocean Blue and Bamboo is starting to be put together at that time. And you have a big role in it, as I've said before. At that point, that's when Dennis is now, I, I would say, really starting to get serious. You know, he was getting in shape and he was, you know, taking center stage almost as the lead person instead of Mike. And you saw that even with the um, Beachago tour in the mid 70s. When Dennis was starting that way of, of Pacific Ocean Blue and Bamboo, could you tell that something was starting to happen in terms of his own solo stuff? Or was it something like, oh, he's doing this great? No, oh, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's, he's show, definitely showing his talent. I mean, he, he did with uh, Pacific Ocean Blue. I mean, that, that was uh, that's when he, he, he came out and showed that he had the stuff. He had what it takes to, uh, to make great music and, and put together a great album. Um, in fact, I, I'm not even sure why he asked me he wanted to do an album of my music. Sure. Uh, because, uh, I mean, I think he had, you know, he had everything. Uh, I, th I think he identified, um, somehow we had a connection. We had sure. a special connection. And, and the songs that I wrote, you know, the lyrics and, and everything about it, it got, I think he connected with it and and uh and he wanted to make it his own. Sure. And he could he could do that really well. I mean he just totally he was uh perfect. He was the, the perfect match for those songs. But his talent was evident. I mean and and he could have done a lot more too, but he got distracted. Yes. But he could have done he could have done a lot more. I mean his his source and it's different different writing than than Brian different writing than Carl, he had his very very own very profound sure, but he stopped yeah. he uh, stopped somewhere. Speaking of it's it's not too late that um 
song that you had written with him. Great song on the album. His vocal on that with Carl Helping Mount, amazing in what it is. And to have both of them together sing, that's great. But on your album, uh, In My Soul, I, I think I like that one just a little bit more because I, I like the rock element that's there when the, the uh, I don't know who the female is singing that song with you. Right. It, it was, it, I, I was saying there because I've been listening to that album the last week or so since we um, confirmed a date and time. And a lot of that songs, I, I sort of almost, and no offense to Dennis, God bless him, but I, I, I sort of like the songs that when you covered them yourself on your own, on that own album, because it was such a different aspect of it. So I'm, I'm sure though, when you had that stuff on that album, it had give you, gave you great pride that Dennis trusted you and said, these songs are so great. Let me put this on an album. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little story on that. Um, well, you, you asked about, you know, the, the girl, first of all, the girl, uh, uh, I recorded that at, in Nashville at Fred Vale's okay. uh, recording studio, uh, Treasure Island. Yeah. Treasure Isle. And um, there was this, this young girl from, from Nashville uh, uh, auditioning, you know, she wanted to audition and, so I had just done the part that I wanted to create like a, like a contrasty thing, like a, uh, like a wolf, a wolf and a lamb kind of thing. I'm the wolf because I have this low voice, yeah. and, you know. So I see this young, beautiful girl, and and I said, "Well, let me hear you sing." And she sang a little bit. I said, "Okay." I grabbed her by the arm. <laughs> let me show you this part. You're gonna do this part. So that's that's how wow. we picked her. Yeah. So then I, I, you know, I produced her, I, I, you know, she didn't have to do that many times. She was great, really. Wow. She was wonderful. Um, it's been a while. I forget her name, but her name is, is in the titles. Yeah. Uh, and so so that was that. Um, the thing is that uh, when I what that out, that whole album, I wasn't going to sing it. Wow. This the reason I did that album. It was like almost to, uh, yeah, not a revenge, but but to kind of redeem sure. the, the the fact that uh, okay, that those are the songs that that Bamboo was going to be because Dennis sure. asked. They say he said when I played him the demo, he said oh, I want to do uh, my next album is going to be your songs, and I want you to produce it. Uh-huh. And I said okay. Uh, Thank you, but we'll produce it together. Yeah. I'd rather because I know, you know, that, sure. that's the way it was going to end up yeah. anyway. <laughs> so, might as well agree at, at the moment. And we agreed it and we worked very well together. We got as far as like doing four songs, although we had the other songs were like in, in all the tapes that were started, but sure. not as advanced as those four songs, All Alone, Under the Moonlight, and It's Not Too Late, and, and Companion. So, um, uh, I don't want to lose track here of, of what I was saying. Um, so, uh, so, oh yeah. So I, I didn't. To me, like Dennis doing the lead on those songs, I was perfect. Sure. And I never considered myself a singer. Uh-huh. I, I could do background vocals and you know stuff like that, but uh, a lead singer, I, I never really. She said I didn't want to go there, but. But I sing my songs to show people how they go. Sure. So right. So so I recorded. I I made this recording. Wow. I recorded this. You know, once I sketched this song for for the album in my soul, I start looking for singers. 
and and sending music to different singers and people recommended great singers and you know all and I put my voice as a reference. So right. what what I would get back, it would be them imitating me. All right. So I, that's not what I want. That sounds like me. Okay. So at, at some point, I said, well, I just I might as well just do it myself. If everybody's <laughs> going to sound like me, yeah, I'm going to sing the album. Sure. So that's what I did. I sang it as a writer, right. as a, as a composer, you know, a singer uh, kind of thing. Uh, because I I wasn't really I wasn't really that confident sure. or or desired to be a singer or had desired to be a singer, but I ended up and I really enjoyed it. Sure, I enjoyed the process. So, especially hearing all these other great singers that that ended up sounding like me. Well, then I had, of course, oh yeah, of course I can do this. Sure. So so that's how I ended up singing the album. Well, I, I as I said, I, I can't say enough about the album. It, it, it's so good. My favorite song on the album is from Red to Blue, and it, it, it's such a powerful song. I was almost because, as I said about you know when we were first starting, my summer being over almost, and the summer camp ending soon. I just listening to it, 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 that song from Red to Blue almost was it was bringing me to tears almost. I didn't feel any go down my face, but it was such a great song. So uh, again, thank you for that album. When you were putting that together with during that time that when Pacific Ocean Blue, Blue and Bamboo, if that let's say his situation was was different and he had his stuff in order, what do you think could have happened to his career and, and the trajectory that he would have taken? But also with you, seeing as you were part of that as well, I think it. I think we were a very powerful uh, force together, and I think we could have done a lot of stuff. We we. But uh, it didn't happen because of the disruption. Sure. And, the, the, and the disruption had a lot to do with his, his emotional uh, state with Karen. Yeah. You know, and Karen Lamb, and, and uh, he, um, oof, he just went down the deep end. I yeah. mean, uh, it was really sad to see that. Sure. Because it, it consumed him. After... After coming back to, to to Puerto Rico in the late in the eighties, and then eventually a, a few years passed, and then night in the late nineties, ninety eight, you you found uh, Carlos Bistro, the the restaurant that you you're still with today, that you founded twenty three years later, or if not twenty four years later, depending on the math. I, I'm not a math major. Um, did you have any aspirations in terms of going into the business world in, in the way that you did with your restaurant? No. <laughs> so. My answers on, on both of your questions, whether I have aspirations, whether to enter the beach boys or to do this kind of business, both been no. Okay, that, that the reason for that is that I don't plan things that far ahead. Okay. I really, I really don't. I, I, I see an opportunity and and I go, I kind of go with the flow. Sure. Uh, opening a restaurant was a was a suggestion of uh, a fellow. Uh, he was an accountant that worked at a a play a place a, a historic hotel in also one where I, I was playing I had a one nighter there and he suggested one time we're walking around also and he said Carl, why don't you open a restaurant and I said hmm, it's not a bad idea and I opened a restaurant sure. it took me about a year you know to kind of visualize everything put everything together get the knowledge and, and get finance and all that stuff and but it just uh, I never thought of 
I never sure. even dreamed or I, it just never occurred in my mind. Sure. Never entered my mind before. What does the, the owning the restaurant and operating it provide to you that music has not? Uh, a certain uh, stability because it's an everyday thing. Sure. It's an everyday challenge. I mean, and the challenge are many. Sure. You know, especially it's like to keep the quality at all levels, you know, like whether it's service, whether it's uh, food, keep the uh, high fine dining level, uh, uh, keeping a uh, motivated staff, oh. high quality, uh, you know, the, the same thing with the bar, the same thing with the wines, um, you know, then the logistic of, of, uh, of, uh, you know, the receiving the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the goods, the foods, you know, the materials to, to work with on uh, almost every day basis, uh, the, the hygiene, the, uh, the, the, the permissology, uh, sure. everything. I mean, uh, the marketing is it, a challenge. It's, sure. uh, but it's a daily thing. Um, not to mention that it's, it's, um, it's a cash flow business, which sure. is good because I, I try to stuff. You know, I study cinema, cinema. I left the Beach Boys in '81 to study cin cinematography, right. among other reasons. I wanted to be with my children, with my newborns, but I always also wanted to study cinematography, which I did. And I did stuff. I put the stuff. I did some work for Dean Martin and right. and I did some for fashion. And, and I, I did documentaries, uh, uh, directed uh, commercials, documentary, things like that. But uh, at some point that it peaked and it, it, it just wasn't what I wanted. Right. It was actually, it, it was driving me crazy. <laughs> and it peaked here in Puerto Rico. And fortunately, the Hurricane Hugo came and destroyed everything. And I could reinvent myself and start all over. Right. Like, okay, I'm just going to be a, a musician. Sure. And that's what the happiest time I, I've been. But um, I hope that answers your question. Oh, it does. And who knows when it happens? I mean, you still see nowadays Brian still performing to 80. He was just touring with Chicago this past summer. And then Mike, obviously, is still performing with the Beach Boys at, at 81 years old. Before you hang it up musically and, and stop performing, what do you hope to accomplish in your music career? Well, I, what I hope to accomplish is, uh, is a legacy. Okay. Um, well, on a certain level, I have a group of, of kids that I uh, I mentor. Right. Uh, they're, they're high school kids, and uh, I mentor on uh, on uh, avant garde right. music. And um, then on another level, I um, uh, well, part of it's in the book. You know, the, the book should have some an impact. Uh, in the things that I want to, uh, the message I want to get through sure. as a legacy as well. Um, at the restaurant, every day is, is kind of, I hope to impact every day. Sure. Um, my my work staff is very, is I believe is very much influenced by me. And, and it's, uh, um, you know, we influence, let's say better, you know, by each other. And, but, but it's like handpicked, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's like, I don't have anyone in my staff that I wouldn't want to hang out with. Sure. Let's say. 
so there's a vibe. There's, there's a really, really good vibe that hopefully is transmitted to to other people. Sure. To the patrons, to the people that that that, that come. And, and we're fortunate, we're very successful. The place gets is full every night and all the stuff. We have really excellent clientele. And and the, the clientele that we have is uh is on, on the most part uh, uh is uh it's a good, you know, sensitive, it's a conscious, uh, mm. conscious clientele. Um, so I, I, with the music, and then I play every, every night. And with the music, I, I hope to impact right. people, impact into higher consciousness. Sure. Um, and that's everything I do. I, I, I try to impact. I, I, I just want to leave that legacy of higher consciousness. Sure. I, I don't want to, Okay, I went through life, and what happened? You know, did I enjoy myself? You know, it's not about that. I I have, and I do, and all the stuff, and I I worship my family, my wife, my daughter, and my life, and uh, but I want I want to uh, I want to live the place better. Sure, this, that's my ultimate goal. Well, I do it through music. At some point, I thought I could do it through filmmaking. That's why I study filmmaking. And uh, it, but it became commercial, and I hated the outcome of of that becoming commercial. Yeah. I, I felt trapped, so then I had to boops reboot <laughs> myself into back into being a musician, a jazz musician. Then more like full fledged. Um, unfortunately, I was able to walk that that path into the mainstream, which it was a very proud moment uh, achievement for me. Um, but that's to me that's the most important thing. Sure. Teach teach the children, teach the the people, uh, uh, change consciousness. You know, um, you know, bring down the oppressor and sure. <laughs> make make a better life. You know, that's sure. that's. I'm happy with that. I'm having done that, and um, musically, if my music affect people that way in any kind of way, that's I'm happy. Well, that's, for, that's my ultimate goal. Good for you for wanting to do that and providing a serious impact on life, such as your contemporary Brian Wilson has done. Before we end here today, again, I, I, I can't express my gratitude enough towards you. I want to end with a little segment called the One Word Challenge. So what this is what I'll do, I'll throw out a few names or people or places or things that have some connection to you, and you have to do your best to come up with a word or two or sentence that best comes to mind when you hear the word. So Carly, are you ready? That's dangerous, Nolan, because I'm very spontaneous. Maybe too much for my own good, or maybe sure. Okay, well, anyway, I'll be honest. Uh, uh, first one, San Juan, Puerto Rico. I love it. Uh, it's my home, and I wouldn't trade being here for anywhere else in the world. Uh, Los Angeles. I miss it. I miss my friends. I miss the people. I miss uh, so many incredibly wonderful people I met there. Uh, Dennis Wilson. I love Dennis. I um, I think about. I still think about him. Uh, makes me smile when I think about him. He used to say, uh, "You know, you go the high road, I go the low road." He was referring to someone, to maybe a nemesis. And yeah. What he meant is that, you know, in the end, is is your innocence, is your not innocent, you know, it's your 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 kindness of heart that matters. It doesn't matter whether you. You end up in the gutter, or or end up meditating some high place somewhere, yeah. but uh, it's that spirit, yeah. 
Ed Carter. Oh, what a great guy. Joy. Oh, you said one word. Joy, laughter, <laughs> friendship. Uh, as they say, smiling Ed Carter. Um, uh, music. Uh, my life. Uh, success. Relative. And last but certainly never least in this cosmic universe of ours, Carly Munoz. Trying. <laughs> well, I, I, I have to agree with you on that. We're all trying this crazy world, especially now during these times. But Carly, good sir, my friend, I, I, as I said before, and I'll say again, this has been fun. And I appreciate you taking the time to let me pick inside your mind and ask you questions about your experiences through life. It's certainly been one heck of a experience for me. So thanks again. Thank you, Nola. It's been a pleasure for me. Well, for all, for all those out there who enjoy this, because who the heck wouldn't, and down the road when Carly wins a Grammy for his next work that he's working on, or a Peabody Award for his, I'm sure, amazing um, autobiography that'll be coming out next fall in 2023, you'll want to say, I should have subscribed at the time. Uh, like, comment, share, share all that fun jazz that we do. Uh, Carly, I know we mentioned it briefly, and you, you told to me before we agree to this interview you have your your book coming up but is there anything else besides that coming out next year that you'd like to share with the world or or say you know be on the lookout for well i i would love to take that moment but uh my daughter is is, is just got out of her ballet class and i'm supposed right. to pick her up so right. i better get going but love you all thank yes. you thank you for this great opportunity and we'll catch up yes hold that question yes when <laughs> the book I, comes out we'll do this again it's my promise. Uh, no problem. Uh, take care, Carly. And again, thanks for everything. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.